Amethyst Gainaway is a young food writer who is riding up a storm and exploring the world of food. Listen to her story. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Amethyst Ganaway. She's from North Charleston, South Carolina. She is a person who has become a chef, but has done it old school. And she's here in New Orleans because she has been awarded the Legacy Award by Le Dames d'Escoffier International, and she's won this experience here in New Orleans. Welcome, Amethyst. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a little bit about this award and what your experience is supposed to be here in New Orleans, because it's just getting started, right? It's just getting started. I came a couple days early, actually, um, so that I've never been to New Orleans, so that I could, you know, enjoy myself and kind of see a little bit of the city. But the experience itself is, for me, it's it's already been phenomenal. It's just getting started really today. I get to be here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, which is a pleasure. I'm already learning a lot, taking a lot of pictures. I also get to work beside Chef Nina Compton, who is one of my culinary idols, um, at her restaurant, Compare Le Pen, this week with her and her staff. So I'm really excited about that. I already got to eat there, so that was a phenomenal experience. And I guess I get to hang out with other women in the culinary field, which is, for me, a big deal. You know, obviously, they're not, I'm not going to say there aren't many women in the field. You know, there's more now, but it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be around a lot of women who've been doing this for a long time, when I still feel like I'm kind of just learning my way into it. Well, it's a constant learning process. I mean, you never stop, no Absolutely. matter how old you are. Yeah. yeah, at least I hope we don't. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about your journey into food. Yeah, so I started, like I said, I went to the University of South Carolina. I'm a Gamecock, and my degree has nothing to do with food. People are always really surprised when I tell them I went to school to, actually my degree's in theology. Um, but once I kind of start telling more of my story, you can kind of see the the connections. I, I enjoy learning about people and learning about culture um, and how we're all connected, and obviously food is one of those ways. I didn't intend on getting into the culinary field. <laughs> I, I fell into it, and, I, and I'm, you know, I, I don't like to say that I, like, got stuck, right? Um, but it is something I fell into and I, I really enjoy doing and that I really love. So I started off actually as a waitress at a couple dive bars and ice cream scooper and, you know, cashier, kind of just working my way into things. As an independent student, I needed a job that would cover bills and work with my schedule and restaurants where where I could make decent money um, and still, like, see my friends, you know. So I started off as a waitress and just kind of moved my way through family-owned and corporate-owned restaurants and then truthfully got kind of bored with it. It was, like I said, good, decent money, but I didn't feel like I was being challenged. 
so I kind of forced my way into the kitchen. Um, I'm I'm five two, I'm about a hundred pounds, soaking wet, so I'm a, I'm a little old thing, but I I never really let that you know deter me from working in the kitchen, working around a bunch of guys, you know, being hot, and I found myself. I've always I've always naturally enjoyed cooking. I grew up with my grandma mostly, so. I was always the kid kind of stealing meat out the pot while she was cooking <laughs> greens or something, you know, or just kind of, Hey, what are you, you know, what are you making? How can I help? Um, and I mean, I'm from Charleston. So just kind of like here, like new Orleans, like cooking is a part of everything we do. It's a communal thing. You know, somebody always has a crab crack oyster rolls, you know, you, somebody comes to your house, you don't know them. You're inviting them. Hey, are you hungry? Would you, do you want something to drink? Right. You're kind of almost forcing them to eat, even if they tell you no, so food has always been just a part of my culture. So it felt very authentic and natural to go into the culinary field and, and still want to be here and still enjoy it. So in the kitchen, then, you've sort of worked all of the stations. And what what places have you worked in South Carolina? No, none, none, actually. Okay. I haven't done yet. I've done, I mean, I've worked for, like, corporate places in, in South Carolina. Most of my... Trading, though, was at a couple restaurants in Georgia and in Texas okay. um, and in New Mexico, actually. I just recently moved back back to Charleston from New Mexico. Um, but this is actually my first time living in Charleston as an adult on my own. I've never worked in a restaurant in Charleston. Um, so we're going to see how that's going to go. Obviously, we're still, you know, in the middle of a pandemic. I'm still feeling a little hesitant to really want to go full force back into a kitchen. Um, but I miss it. I miss it every day. Like I, I miss the camaraderie. I, I miss being sweaty and gross and covered in grease, you know, and having to spray my shoes off before I leave to walk into my house. Like, you know, I miss being tired, right? I miss serving people. I miss looking over the counter and seeing, like, okay, this is something I made and people are enjoying it. I miss having a team to come into, you know. So I would like to get back to it. I just kind of am hoping. I will kind of want to see how maybe the rest of the year plays out before I do that. So you told me that you're doing recipe developing and food writing right now. I am. So how did you move into that? Yeah, so I uh, was actually working at a restaurant last year right when the pandemic began. I Honestly, I guess before we even really knew what everything was going to be or what, you know, what was happening. Um, and I quit. <laughs> I quit like maybe a week before like it like the pandemic here really took off and we were like, oh, you know, something's happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I always say nothing. There's no coincidence since I don't I don't really believe in it. You know, maybe it's divine intervention. Maybe the universe lined up how it needed to, whatever it may be. But I, uh, I'm kind of known for talking trash on social media a lot. Um, I'm very vocal about a lot of things that are maybe food related or, or, you know, food adjacent, I like to say. Um, and obviously too, kind of more so in the early part of the year last year, we saw a lot of social unrest. There were a lot of things happening, a lot of protests. And I was seeing how food media in particular was kind of wanted to, they were telling one side of a story. Um, and I was, like I said, I'm very quote unquote vocal, you know, or whatever you might want to call it on online. I have an online presence. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? If somebody wants to pay me to talk about this, y'all can. I'm not going to give y'all all this free knowledge, you know, like I, it's a pandemic. I can't, I can't go back to work at this point. Restaurants had, had shut down. Right. And I, I wasn't getting unemployment because I quit my job. <laughs> so 
it worked out to where I had, I'd already started to build a network and a community of other like food writers and chefs and, and things like that. So it worked out to where somebody was like, okay, well, we will pay you. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. Right. So I, I was already doing recipe developing a little bit for a couple smaller companies, smaller brands, but I really threw myself into it last year. Um, one out of necessity, obviously, but I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed reading. And it's like, I'm not really leaving my field. I'm just going into a different part of it. Mm-hmm. And I still get to cook. I still, you know, I set my day up now to where it's like I, if, if I was going into a restaurant, I wake up, I turn my oven on, preheat it. You know, I, I do my prep list, all this stuff. And I'm at home, obviously, but um, I, I'm blessed to be able to say I was able to make that transition, obviously, when so many people in the industry weren't. Right. And I was able to do it from my home, my home. So that's another, you know, aspect, especially in the middle of a pandemic that I was kind of able to, you know, keep myself away from, I guess. So now that you've sort of established yourself there and, and you're saying that you want to get back into the kitchen too, yeah. do you think you'll try to keep doing this as well as go back into the kitchen? Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And the writing too? Absolutely. So who, uh, what, what, have you been writing about? Mostly, I write about Southern food. Okay. You know, I, I, that's what I do. I'm, I'm from the South, born and raised. All my family, we, I was talking to my grandma recently about it, about how, you know, a lot of black folk in the South kind of left during the Great Migration. My family pretty much stayed in the South. We, mm-hmm. Our roots are as Southern as they can get. South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, you know, you can't get, you can't get more Southern than that. So I write mostly about Southern foodways. Um, I am really leaning into low country and just other areas of the South that are along coastal areas because mm-hmm. it's, it's familiar and it's a history that hasn't really been told by black women in particular, not to say there are, there obviously have been. Um, it's been passed down by black women. But it's been passed down by black women. Right. So I'm, I feel almost one, like it's an honor that I get to write about these things. I get to learn about these things. I get to cook these things. But it's also a privilege that I get to be a part of hopefully a new generation of those voices that continue that legacy. So uh, I was, you know, now I have my fam- my younger family members asking me for recipes, right? So I get to, like I said, I get to continue that legacy. So I, would, I, I have no intention on stopping. I'm kind of a workaholic. I don't know if I will be able to go into a kitchen full time. Obviously, I don't I don't know if my body can handle it, uh-huh. you know, after taking almost two years off. But I'm looking forward to being able to do pop-ups or, or having maybe a, a place of my own where I can really create this sense of community and make the food that I want to make now that I have experience under my belt to be able to do so. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about low country. Do you have... In your heritage, Gullah Geechee? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I I try to I try to honestly I don't want to say distance myself. I don't think that's the best way to, to put it. I mean there's no way I can deny it. There's no way I can separate myself from it. But I am very, you know, wary, I guess is the best way for me to put it of of about what I put out there mm-hmm. because it's always it always has been such a very kind of closed community um and it's it's been very easy to become commodified and taken advantage of um 
But at the same time, and, and also, too, there there's people who've been, again, telling those stories. You know, we have Sally Ann Robinson. We have Chef BJ Dennis. We have Charlotte Jenkins, if I'm, I might be mistaken her name right now. But we have so many other people who have been doing this work. So, again, I'm honored to be able to tell that a part of that story but I don't ever want to center myself. I am fair skinned. I, I, you know, I have a particular look and, and kind of thing about me. So I would rather maybe help other people in my community become that voice or tell their story. And I, I like to say I focus more on, like, like I said, low country and southern food, which you can't leave out the Gullah Geechee people when you talk about that, right? right. So. I, I do it, but I, I'm trying to make sure I'm doing it in a very respectful way. I, I do think that that is a, a big issue that people are now aware of uh, right now, that people have commodified so much of other people's heritage, right. and that makes it difficult, even when people think they're being... The right thing. Yeah, they're yeah. being respectful or whatever, yeah. and it is really a... a difficult challenge because all throughout history as people have lived together there's cultural exchange which includes food yeah and I, I know here in Louisiana you can find mortar and pestles that are made out of cypress that are made in the exact same style of the Senegambia region right. and yet they're being used by um, indigenous people exactly to pound filet and other things when previously a lot of the mortar and pestles were much more more like matates you right. know than they were the kind of pound yeah. and um, it's really interesting because runaway slaves that were given shelter in various tribal areas they live there, and here was perhaps a more useful way to do right. it, you yeah. know. And so it's just adopted. Now, of course, I don't consider that really cultural appropriation right. in a, a bad way right. because this is just, well, we're all living together, exactly. and so we're, we're sharing. Exactly. I have the same experience in, in my background because my grandmother and my great-grandparents came from uh, Palermo, and... Um, there was a big migration of people from Palermo and all of Sicily into New Orleans from about 1885 to about 1915. And many of the people who came lived in the French Quarter, and the French Quarter came to be known as Little Palermo. Right. But as that got full, the newer people who were just the new immigrants were, were moving into Treme, right. which was an African-American neighborhood. But people were living next door to each other. And so there was a lot of exchange because this is your neighbor. Exactly. And uh, so uh, sometimes it's you, know, you just have to examine it exactly. to, to see. So I understand your reticence in some ways, but in other ways, don't you feel that you can talk about it with more authority simply because you grew up in this Absolutely. background? Absolutely. And, and it, honestly, that, that took me some time to kind of come to terms with. Mm -hmm. um, and even now, a lot of my, my peers, my friends, mentors will tell me, like, Amethyst, just, you, you can do this. It's okay, right? And I hear them. Um, but I think, I think where that difference comes in between maybe me and someone else is that intention, right? Is that 
I can I can stop and check myself, and I have people who can check me. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, out, let's just say an outsider, for example, more 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 than likely they don't have those people. They're not already in that community. They don't have people in the community that can kind of say, "Hey, maybe you're not the best person to do this," or that they're not taking that thought within themselves to stop themselves and say, "Okay, hold on, am I the am I the best person to be telling this story? Is this my story to tell?" Um, because, like I said, it's it's like it's impossible for me to want to talk about food and talk about culture when I'm really, what I'm, what I'm really doing is telling my own personal story. I'm telling my family's story. Right. So I can't separate the two, but I can also catch myself and say, like I said, you know, is, am I the best person to tell this? Or maybe, you know, I know another person who can tell this and probably has better resources um, than I do. I'm not from, the islands in, in, in Charleston or, or Georgia or anything like that. So even my relationship to the culture is going to be much different, you know, some from somebody who lives 50 miles away from me. Um, so I just, I try to make sure, like I said, I just, I just do that respectfully, but there are going to be those moments where I have to tell my story. Like I, I did a piece about red rice recently because people always ask me, well, what's your red rice recipe? And I'm like, y'all, I'm not giving you the rice. And it's not one of those things you can give somebody. It's probably like how y'all are with gumbo, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like everybody has a different way of making exactly. it. Exactly. And nobody's grandma is really sitting there measuring, measuring right? It's you got it's something you learn by taste, by by smell, by touch, by standing at the, at the stove with somebody else to do it. Um, and two, I don't want to give it to you. Right. You don't have to have everything. Come enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Come let somebody make it for you. You can't. You can, I, I haven't had gumbo here yet, so I'm looking forward to hopefully somebody's grandma making me a pot. But that's one of those things like right. Like. I don't want to go home and say, oh, I'll make an authentic, quote unquote, Louisiana gumbo, New Orleans gumbo or, you know, whatever. And I've never had that. I don't have something to, to kind of base that off of. And it's the same thing with my red rice. Like. If you, I get that you want to try it. It's one of those things, right? Like it's tantalizing. It's different. It's mm-hmm. special. Um, but let somebody make it for you first, you know, and, and really so you can really understand why this is so important and why you don't have to have, you don't always have to have it. Right. Just eat it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and also you want to eat it made by several people, exactly. not even just one person. Exactly. I mean, one person gives you the introduction, but it's like gumbo. You can't just eat one person's gumbo if you're trying to learn about gumbo. Exactly. You have to eat lots of gumbo. I always say this about gumbo, and it's the way you know somebody's from New Orleans. You come and eat my gumbo, and it tastes like my gumbo. But you recognize that it's gumbo, even though it's different from your gumbo. Exactly. And uh, all the different places I've eaten gumbo in, in family homes, uh, you know, of my family, as well as other people's families. And every time it is different. Yep. It's never the same. And yet you always know it's gumbo. And it's always interesting to me when a person who is from a family, comes from a family that has New Orleans roots, but no longer lives in New Orleans. They live in Chicago. They live in some Oakland or, you know, something. And uh, so the only gumbo they've had is their families. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so they, they can even replicate that. 
But then they come to New Orleans and they start seeing this panoply of gumbos and they say, that's not gumbo. That's wrong. That's yep. not gumbo. And it's like, no, it's not wrong. Yep. That's what it is. It is that that different every time. Yep. And um, and the only way you can you can understand it is by living it and tasting everybody's gumbo and knowing that your gumbo is good, even though it's different from mine. Absolutely. And so I would say the same thing about red rice. Yeah. It's never going to be the same. Never the same. Yeah. yeah. And so why have a recipe? <laughs> <laughs> no, cannot have my recipe. But I will absolutely make you some one day. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. Um, I'd love to eat your red rice. I think that's great. Yes. And and really, I think that is the greatest honor that you can have is when somebody shares not some dish that they made up. Right. I mean, that's great, but but their their story. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's really what you're sharing. Exactly. It's you're sharing your story. And I I really I I think that it's interesting because people come to New Orleans and they say, "We're going to get the best gumbo." And they mean a restaurant, yep. but I'm thinking there's not a restaurant where you're going to get the best right. gumbo. Yep. Uh, even restaurants that have really good gumbo have had to um, create, you know, so much that it's just not the same because yep. when, once you scale it, 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 it has a different flavor. Yep. Plus, it could have been sitting there for two hours kind of simmering yep. and it just it changes all the time. Yep. And um, I want to tell them, my gumbo is the best, or my grandmother's gumbo yeah. was the best, or whatever. And and I don't think they, they understand yeah. that. Everybody doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that's really the truth. Because people eating in other people's homes is really the way. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I've, I've, I mean, I've been eating a lot since I've been here. And I mean, I you know, I see get a cup of gumbo on every menu, and I'm just like, I want to do it, but like you said, I I know I've worked in restaurants. I know, like, like I said, it's not not that it's going to be bad necessarily, right? But it's like, I'll, let me go, let me go to somebody's house first. Yeah, you know, let somebody's aunt, you know, uh-huh. here, baby, here's here's a bowl. You right, know, that's that's what right. I want. That's I want the full experience, and I think that's like, you know, especially when we talk about Southern food and we talk about soul food. Soul food for me means that that person, whoever made whatever they're making, has put a piece of themselves into it, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean a particular type of cuisine. It just means you can – it's why I, I can't – my grandma can walk me through making her macaroni and cheese. I can do it exactly what she – you know, exactly what she tells me, but it just won't taste the same, right? right? Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to make myself get a bowl of gumbo someplace here, <laughs> but I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, coming back, like you said, and being able to try every, everybody's, um, and go to different parts of just not even, like you said, not even just New Orleans, right? Like I would. Oh yeah. And, and Cajun gumbo is really different from Creole gumbo. Yep. So, you know, that's also true. Exactly. And so, and there's so many kinds of gumbo because you can have seafood gumbo, you can have a chicken and andouille sausage gumbo, yep. you can have duck gumbo. I mean, Everything. you could just go crazy. Yep. Yeah, it could be anything. And and it's all recognizable as gumbo, but it's really not always the exactly. same. Yeah, yeah. 
I I think that's just the that's just the truth. Yeah. So, um, any other things you're trying to learn about New Orleans or anything like that while you're here? I don't know. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm trying to just, I'm t- trying to take it all in, and it's crazy because like I said I've been here for about a week now, and there's there's, there's no possible way I'm going to be able to eat everything I want to eat, experience everything I want to experience. Obviously, I came at the beginning of hurricane season two. Um, this doesn't, which doesn't bother me. We right, you know hurricanes. Yeah, this, this is just like, like I said, this is just like Charleston. Y'all, I got a raincoat, I got an umbrella, I'll be all right. You know, I know, I know not to go out at a certain time of the day. I can smell when the rain's about to, you know, about to drop, so it doesn't really bother me too much. But it has put a little bit of a damper on me Getting maybe doing around. more, more yeah. wandering, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, man, it just means I got to come back. That's my, that's my plan. Okay, next time you come back, let me know, yeah. and I'm going to make gumbo for and you. And I'll make you red rice. Okay, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I love I don't know, to do um, that. I guess the most... The coolest thing I'm seeing is, I mean, New Orleans and Charleston are sister cities. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, you know, I, you know, I told you when I walked in, it was like, this feels like home. It feels like the buildings, the people, you know. It's funny because I'm Ubering pretty much everywhere. And, like, I get a couple, you could tell, like, people who are from here and they'll hear me speak. They're like, you almost kind of sound like you're from here. You know, my <laughs> accent will come out a little bit uh-huh, more, especially. Uh-huh. Like, are you? I'm like, no, I'm from here, you know. But um, so it's just cool to even have that. Because even in Charleston, like, you know, New Orleans has bounce. And so much of, like, our kind of small music influence, I hear that New Orleans bounce and New Orleans influence into our sound. Um, you know, like I said, the buildings look exactly the same. I'm, I'm going through the 7th floor, and I'm like, this looks like downtown Charleston. Like, it's crazy, you know. I don't think Charleston will ever, ever get to a point where we can be as maybe built up as New Orleans is, I mean, this, this, this y'all city has been doing this for forever. Right. We've been around. Y'all have yeah. been around, whereas Charleston is still very, very small mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of ways, which can be a good thing, but it's also, it can be a very detrimental thing. Um, so I'm really enjoying for this first trip here to be able to see that, that similarity, like I said, and, and, and see those differences too. And mm-hmm. I'm getting really inspired, um, so for when I go back home, like I said, I'm supposed to be doing some pop-ups. So I'm like, okay, like, again, I can, I see what we can be. I can see what we can do. How can I do this in our way, mm-hmm. essentially? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm just kind of taking it in for now, though. Sounds wonderful. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming Absolutely. and um, joining us on the podcast today. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.